everyone, my name is Alexa and you're listening to MedCurity Live. With me today I have Skip Williams, co-founder of Kingsbridge BCP, a company that has helped hundreds of organizations and businesses with their business continuity planning since 1983. In 2014, Skip was named Business Continuity Consultant of the Year by the BCI. Today we'll be asking Skip a few questions regarding business continuity planning and hope that maybe some of his expertise will rub off on us. Thank you so much for joining us, Skip. It's really great to have you on today. Hey, Alexa. Thanks for having me here. I look forward to answering some of the questions and hopefully can share some information with everybody. Well, through the years, and as you said that we've been doing this since 1983, the terminology has kind of gone all over the place. Right now, it is settled that the business continuity plan is a plan that is for continuing the entire business throughout any sort of an incident, be that, you know, something like a power failure all the way up to something like current COVID-19. The disaster recovery plan really focuses just on the IT side of things. And when I say just IT, that sounds like it makes it such a, like it's a, it's a subset of the business continuity plan, but really it's not, but it just focuses on different aspects of the business. So business continuity is the entire business and disaster recovery plan is the IT slash system side of the business. It's good to know the difference between the two of them, even just for an educational standpoint. All right. And the next question is, where do you recommend smaller organizations start when creating their business continuity plans? Well, as we focus on that small to medium business kind of market anyways, it's kind of a good question or a good placement for it. There's always the industry approved route, which is things like your threat risk assessment, your business impact analysis, so TRA and BIA for however people know it, and then getting into the planning side of things. What we've seen a lot over the last few years, and this goes anywhere from a company of like four people to a company of like 1,500 people, is that if you in essence, just kind of skip the TRA or the threat risk assessment, and you go into a bit more of like a results-based planning. Sometimes that's called all scenarios. It's not really in all scenarios. It's just the results of whatever the incident is. So in the ones that we've kind of coined is no people, no building, no systems, or no third-party suppliers. And you build your plan accounting for the four results. And then what we try to get people to do is to not plan for every scenario they can think of, because that gets into those what if scenarios and it gets into the silliest, craziest things possible and it slows the project right down. So to really get things going, depending on what your comfort level is, is either with a threat risk assessment or going into that no people, no building, no systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think a lot of times if you start thinking about all the bad things that happen to you, <laughs> you could go on forever, especially with COVID now. It's like, what, what could happen? Well, and the ones that, that come up almost every single time we do these is whenever anybody's, when you start talking about the what if, what if, what if, what if, inevitably it comes to zombies. And you're like, no, <laughs> sure, zombies are, I can't even say possible. I'm not even going to say plausible, <laughs> but... If you're going to build your plan for the zombie apocalypse, you're a little bit off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Those four and don't allow the what if things to get in there. And it's pretty common that we have to pull people back and say, whoa, 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 no more what ifs. Let's get back on the topic and let's get going. Yeah, exactly. More like how could you function 
in whatever scenario that you're in. Like if you had no building, if you had no, you know, no such and such, no internet access, you know, how are you going to continue on instead of like, well, if this could happen, then we lose this and this, you know, there's so many different scenarios. You could come up with hundreds and, and then you're just going to stress yourself out. (laughs) Well, exactly. And you end up getting around in a circle and circle and circle. You never get to the next step, which is how Mm -hmm. do these actually impact our business? And so for using COVID-19 as an example, in the first few weeks, it was a no people scenario because your buildings Mm -hmm. were totally fine. Your systems were operational, no problem. Your third party suppliers, except for toilet paper, were totally fine. Um, (laughs) But you had, in essence, not really access to your people. But then over time, you started getting access to your people because everybody had to work from home and everything like this. But then you had a no building scenario where if you needed to print something or you needed to manually touch anything that was in the office, you had to determine, okay, how are we going to do this either with a skeleton crew or can we do it with no crew or whatever. So it kind of morphed from a no people into a no building. And currently right now, I would say we're in a halfway between that no people and no building scenarios that's going on for most businesses right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then our next question is, what is the biggest mistake you've seen organizations make with making their business continuity plans? The biggest mistake, bar none, no questions asked, is that every single company tries to write the perfect plan right out of the gate. They know they have to get this job done. So we'll just talk about that one in a second. But what they try to do is they research, 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 and never actually start to get the first line down. And so as a result, they're stuck in essence at a blank document all the time because they, they are trying to, they're, I guess, wordsmithing every word to the nth degree and they can't figure out what to do. And so what we suggest or remind them of or everything like that, is, and that's part of the reason why we do this in our software is that it starts from a template. It gives you templated information that says this is, you know, what you should be doing because it's way easier to edit. It was a dark and stormy night than to start with. It was a dark and stormy night. And so we want them to understand that this is an evergreen document and every revision you do on the document is getting better and better and better and better. And so there can never be enough revisions because businesses always change, but getting it perfect and getting it done just never happen. It's not something that that they should be worried about and, and just get it written as opposed to getting it perfect. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that a lot of times people are so concerned, like you said, with the perfection of it, as opposed to just getting it complete, which is where the requirement is. So just make sure you meet that requirement because if you're always trying to reach perfection, a lot of times you'll put it off and then never quite finish it. And then if you ever do have a situation where you need your business continuity plan, but it's not finished because you were so concerned about it being perfect, then what's the point of having it? So having just a nice baseline. And then like you said, you can always keep adding to it. And then having that template to start with is so helpful because a lot of people don't even know where to begin. It's it's very overwhelming to just go ahead and start on something like that because you can end up creating these crazy scenarios and you don't know exactly, all right, I have literally no idea where to begin, especially depending on the size of your organization. There's so many different factors that could change things. Well, yeah, and if you have one office with people that are in one city, that makes it a little bit easier. But as soon as you add two offices in two cities and two states, two provinces, two countries, two hemispheres, that 
compounds the problems immensely. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of people nowadays, it's having people work from home and in the office because of COVID. So that added a whole new thing where now people are like, oh, wow, well, now we really have to update our continuity plan because things are so different now. And with the possibility, especially towards hospitals, which is, you know, our listeners, a lot of them are concerned with ransomware attacks, which have spread across our entire country here in America. And a lot of hospitals lost access to their internet and their systems were shut down and they weren't not prepared for that and then they had individuals working from home and in the hospitals so it's just kind of crazy all around and they really had to up their business continuity plan because they thought okay well if our internet was shut down how would we continue on how would we still provide operations and no one had ever really thought of that before because you didn't think that someone was getting hit so low as to target a hospital especially during a global pandemic Well, it's it's interesting you bring that up with that sort of that hybrid work environment of working from home but working from the office is that last week, everybody's working from home and there was a car accident that knocked out power to 3,500 homes. And Mm. 3,500 isn't a big deal. If everybody was at the office, they wouldn't have affected them at all. They would have been on generator backup. It would have been totally fine. But everybody's not at the office. Everybody's not at the hospital. Everybody's at home. Not a lot of people have generator backup at home. And so as a result, instantly you lose however many percentage of your population or of your work environment in that 3,500. You might have lost nobody. You might have lost 300 people. You have no idea. And it's just one of those things where, and that's just a car accident hitting a a hydro pole. Like it wasn't anything that was scheduled. It was nothing that you could have planned for. Now everybody was back in two to three hours, but you've got to account for those, you know, however many people are going to be gone for how long of a period of time. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's never perfect. It's always evolving and it's, you know, being able to be flexible enough to evolve with whatever the scenario or mm-hmm. the, the results give you. Yeah, exactly. And instead of, like you said, focusing on, well, I'm going to prepare for if a car accident happens and it somehow makes all the power go out, you can't plan for something like that, but you can plan for if my employees lose power, how will I continue on? How will I then get them back to their power? You know, focusing on that instead of stressing yourself out over those little details about how everything could go wrong, because we could talk about that forever. All right. Next question is, how often do you think organizations should train and test their employees on response drills to business continuity planning? Well, that's actually a bit of a tricky one. And the reason why I say that is because we have yet to see two businesses that are exactly the same. So to be able to give an answer that says, oh, it should be, you know, every six days or whatever for every business, I mean, everybody's going to have an exception. There's always an exception to the every rule as soon as the first rule is written. First things on that one, and this is for those that are in the exercising stage of their plan, is that we never refer to it as a test. Because you want to see people sort of like clam up or tense up or sort of like get themselves prepared is that they think this is going to be a test and it's going to be on their permanent record if they don't do a good job and all sort of stuff like this, whatever. And so we always call it an exercise. We stress with them that we're exercising the plan. We're not testing the individuals. And so as a result, you can then just see the whole room just kind of like, you know, take a step down and everybody kind of takes a deeper breath and they're like, ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to answer your question is that it really depends on two factors, really. It depends on how mature your plan is. So if you've never written it, you've just got the first draft done, everything like that, I would do it as often as your employees and or their workflow can and or will tolerate it. The frequency that we've seen that's most effective is about six months. 
you're only asking for an hour of their time. So you're not asking for a month of their time or anything like that. You're asking for an hour. And every six months, they're like, weren't you just here yesterday? Because six months disappears like that. But if any more frequent than that, it's, it starts to really get in their way and they start to really start to not appreciate seeing you. If a plan is, once it's about three years old and you've gone through them those exercises every six months for three years, you've got five to six revisions of your plan done your plan's starting to get pretty good. And at that point you can start to stretch it out then to about a year. The second part on it is, so the first one is how mature is your plan? Second one is how often do your people change over? Like what is your turnover in your employees? If you've got a hundred people or 200 people or a thousand people or whatever, and you're constantly losing tons of middle management where though that's where a lot of the doers are, mm-hmm. you're going to have to, you're going to have to do it more frequently because as you add new doers, one, there's adding the person to the plan, but then there's also adding the entire skill set that that person brings to that position. Your business continuity plan is trying to reflect the business as closely as you possibly can. So if there's an interruption, you can return the business back to what it was as quickly as you possibly can. I guess to answer the question, which sounds very simple, it should just be like a, oh, it's six days. (laughs) It really depends on the maturity of the plan how many times it's been revised, how close it is, but also what the turnover is in the business. So if the turnover is really high or the plan is really young, you're going to want to bring that frequency down a little bit so that you can make sure you get touching them frequently. And the nice thing is, is that when you're doing them every six months, the way that we do it is that exercise one is no people. Exercise two is no building. Exercise three is no systems. Exercise four is no third-party suppliers and then restart. And so you get to build it all the way through and you get cover all of the bases kind of thing to be able Mm -hmm. to exercise your plan to make it a little bit more mature. That's really good to know. I think that the important thing is that, like you said, it really depends on your business. So this is not a cut and dry thing. And it really never is with anything related to planning. It all depends on your organization and the size, like you said, the turnover rate. So it just depends. But if you have a good idea of understanding what it includes, how exactly you need to calculate to how often you should test your continuity plan, then you can figure out what that time should look like. Yeah. And that's the really unfortunate part about BCP and well, disaster recovery for that matter. There's not really a lot of cut and dries. There's Mm -hmm. not really a lot of like, it has to be done on the third day of every month. Like there's, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, it's not like that. Yeah, that's how all of this is. HIPAA compliance. It's like, well, you know, you could do it this way or that way. And you're like, what? I just want to know exactly. And that's why it's so helpful to have people like you step in and say, this is how you could do it. That is successful. It does work. And there really is no cut and dry, but people still want to know, okay, I know there's no cut and dry, but I would like to have something that's solid that I can count on. Yeah, I would like some sort of firm-ish guideline. Yeah, some kind of structure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's what leads to mistakes is when you don't have structure. And when you have a lot of guidelines, but no structure, it just confuses and frustrates people. And that's why understanding HIPAA compliance in general or business continuity planning and taking those vague terms and those, well, it could be like this or it could be like that. This could work or that could work. You know, it's up to you. And you're like, no, people really don't want to hear that. People want to hear, tell me what I need to do just to get by or to succeed or to get it done 
or to not get in trouble. That's how a lot of people really do think. I just don't want to get in trouble. You know, they really don't want to. They're not aiming to upset the government or to upset someone or to upset a patient or to have something fail. People want to succeed. They just want to know, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Just tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do and what it needs to be done by and I'll make sure it gets done. Exactly, exactly. We all kind of remain like high school students for the rest of our lives. We really do. There's that part of us that just is like, I've got a project. I know that it needs to be done by this date. Tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And so we all procrastinate right to the last minute and do a pull an all-nighter and get it done. Yeah, you really believe that you'll grow out of that at some point. (laughs) It follows you. (laughs) It really is. Yeah, that's why it's so good to have these structures so that we can push ourselves out of that. All right. And then our last question, and we've touched on this a little bit throughout our conversation, but how do you think COVID-19 affected business continuity planning? I think, and this is my thought, because we aren't through it yet and haven't come out the back end of it yet. So we won't really know until the fast forward five years. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's going to take five years for COVID to be gone but, but you know what i mean seeing the effects of it yeah really while. understanding the effects it's done a few things one is that it's really highlighted a sore point for a lot of businesses that had been ignoring bcps there's a lot of companies out there that are required to do it either through regulatory or auditory reasons or whatever some that are doing it from a best practices perspective but for the businesses that have been ignoring it and or just saying oh this will never happen it'll be fine this has really sort of come around to a sore point and not saying that those are the businesses that have gone out of business, but the stats of businesses that don't have a business continuity plan that go out of business are pretty staggering. But on the flip side of that is that the second point that it's done is that it's really validated the businesses who were doing business continuity plans, not to say against their better judgment, but were doing it because they had to do it because Mm -hmm. of those regulatory, because of those auditory requirements that all of a sudden they're now like, oh, this is, we got this. This is no problem. Mm-hmm. This is a piece of cake. We validated all the work. We've done all the work, everything like that. And so the part that I'm curious to see going forward is when we go to do the exercises with our customers, are we going to see a different attitude by the people in the room? And by that, I mean that half of the meetings that we do probably, you can tell there's one or two people in the room who are sitting there staring at the ceiling and hoping that this you know, dentist appointment would be over. They're just like, can this not be done soon enough? This is the worst, Mm. total waste of my time. They're flicking around on their phone or whatever and stuff like that. And this, that if that's how you want to respond, that's totally up to you. And so as a result, we don't call it the person for it or anything like that. But I'm very curious to see how this is going to postmortem, how that's going to be sort of changed kind of thing after all this is done. Yeah, I think a lot of people see the importance of it after everything they saw. And the, the third one, and I think the last one is that this is one that I think this will be better for everybody as a whole, is that it's pushed people and or businesses into a scenario or a situation that they weren't 100% comfortable with. A lot of our customers had zero work from home policies. They were like, nope, sorry, this work cannot be done at home. And this goes back to PHI. Is that as funny as things where it's like, no, we cannot have patient information on, you know, Sally or Billy's kitchen table. This cannot be out of the office. This cannot be, mm-hmm. dig- it must be paper. And you're like, okay, so now that we can't be in the office, how long WebEx and GoToMeeting have been around and the number of times that you would do meetings virtually was virtually zero. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden the pandemic hits and companies like Zoom have in essence made it 
because they were viewed as the common name during the whole thing. And so as a result, well, and we're recording this on Zoom. It's just one of those things where I think that businesses are going to look back at this and go, wow, we used to spend how many thousands and tens of thousands of dollars a year on travel and expenses, and we're not doing that anymore? Because you back up 20 years, well, I guess 25 years now, and we didn't have the internet. Can you imagine now if there was no internet and the internet was just gone and had never been invented? I'd have to write you a letter, like Mm. a paper letter. And wait to send it to you for a week for you to read it to reply back to say yes or no and then it I have to and I'm like I just can't understand how to do that and that's what I'm hoping that this forces businesses to do going forward is that they they evolve and it'll make companies more flexible and more nimble to be able to respond to things like power outages but they have to be prepared to have the people to be able to work from home so those are really the three things I'm hoping that COVID will do a couple of them. The first two, well, the first one for sure, like the one where it's a sore point is that it's really kind of like, you know, hit home saying, yeah, this is why you do this. Two is that we won't know this one until we start seeing people again, you know, back in the office and what the situation was like afterwards where it's like, yeah, you know, this is really good. The third one, that's going to be a longer term sort of, you know, maybe pie in the sky, hoping and dreaming. Mm -hmm. We really won't know the full effect of this until down the road you know there's no way to tell exactly how it's all going to pan out i mean the weird thing is though is that it has almost been a full year since the whole thing started well really it has been a year because it was announced in january but the real full effect of it started in march and that's given organizations a good amount of time to analyze the weak areas that they had in their organization and recognize that times are changing. Really, we won't go back in certain areas. There is no going back because we've realized how efficient it is to go forward in these certain areas, like having Zoom meetings or things like that. There are certain things that are like, hey, this is actually a good change. This is a good thing. We wanna be more efficient in these areas and we need to learn to prepare ourselves for the technical issues that could go on with this or the problems that could arise from this, but we still have to keep moving forward because that's where things are headed. Yeah, I was going to say is that if you stop, the world will pass you by. And it's exactly slowing down. And so that's the part that I'm kind of like, yeah, it's kind of nice. Because for me, it means less time on an airplane. For a lot of our customers, it means paying less in the way of travel and expenses. But Mm -hmm. for a lot of other people, what it does is that it means, like if if you've got a big workforce, is that it means if you've got people set up at home, that they're more likely to put in more time getting more work done in the same block, so like week or month, that they would be if they were driving. So like commuting back and forth. Yes. Yeah, exactly. They save all the commute time. They're more likely to like on the weekends to flip open the laptop or whatever and just check email while having like a morning coffee on a Saturday morning. Well, they're not doing that on a regular Saturday morning. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see where things go. I hope that people don't take advantage of it and quote unquote ruin it for all the rest of us. But it'll be very interesting to see what come, what the fallout is this, of this is in like the next over the next five to ten years kind of thing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Skip. But we learned a lot of really great things about business continuity planning and exactly how to put it into action and some good first steps for all of our small organizations out there. And just thank you so much for joining us today. We're really happy to have you on. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been great talking BCP, you know, in, a, in the middle of a pandemic with from people from different sides of the continent and everything like that. So it's, uh, it's great. So thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Thank you.